Hi, everybody. My name is Russell Creel, and I want to welcome you to our Three Circle Church teaching series, Chasing the Wind. For the last several weeks, Pastor Chris has invited you to uh, grab a cup of coffee, pull up to the table, and listen to what the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, has to say to us out of his insight and wisdom about life. Uh, it has often been challenging, but it has always been beneficial to hear from this wise man. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and, uh, and see what he has to say to us there. But we need to take note of the fact that until now, uh, Solomon has talked about this perspective of life called life under the sun. Uh, and as he's talked about it, he has said that, uh, that that type of life is futile, that it's folly, uh, that it's meaningless. Uh, well, by definition, you could say that life under the sun uh, is an approach to life where we act and we think from a perspective that excludes God from the picture. And so it's no wonder that it's a meaningless lifestyle. Uh, but in chapter 7, he's going to introduce another way of thinking about life, another perspective on life. And he's going to take the time to compare the two and show us why this new way of living is better than life under the sun. So uh, grab your coffee and uh, grab your Bibles and your devices, pull up to the table, and let's hear what Solomon has to say from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Before we get started in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, I have to make a confession. You know, every week Pastor Chris has invited everyone to grab a cup of coffee and sit down at the table, and you know, that's good, but the problem is I don't like coffee. Uh, never have. I don't think I ever will, and I don't hate me, you know, because I believe there are a, a lot of other non-coffee drinkers out there, uh, but here's the deal. If we're going to keep this real today for the rest of this teaching, is there anybody that can swap this out for, let's say, a glass of iced tea? All right, thanks. Now we can get this thing started. So Solomon is going to talk to us about this uh, perspective of life that is different than uh, the whole idea of life under the sun. And, and this perspective is simply uh, defined by the use of the word wisdom. Uh, he, he just goes on to talk about the life of the wise or the life of wisdom. Now, wisdom 
by definition, uh, can simply be the capacity of, of the mind, the human mind, to understand life from God's perspective. If you remember, life under, under the sun was a perspective that excluded God, but wisdom is a perspective that wants to see life the way that God sees life. And so there are two perspectives, life under the sun and a life of wisdom. But before we see what he says about it, let me, let me just sort of illustrate where we're going uh, by, by, by telling you this. At Three Star with Church, from time to time, uh, we've had to use uh, something called pipe and drape. Now, pipe and drape is exactly what it sounds like. It's a, uh, a pipe frame that you can get to be as tall as you want, as long as you want, and you cover it uh, with curtain. And uh, we've used it for different reasons. We've used it when we needed to create uh, something that wasn't there yet, like a, uh, a hallway. If there was no hallway, we didn't want to do construction yet. We just used pipe and drape and created a hallway. But it can also be used to, to minimize or to restrict an area. Uh, and, and sometimes we've had to do that. You go into, an, you go into a church revitalization and, and the worship space, for example, is way bigger than uh, that you need at the very beginning. And so you use pipe and drape and you restrict the space. And, and you do it in such a way that uh, you create the illusion that this is all there is, that there's nothing beyond this. You, you make it where the eyes don't look beyond, but just inside this confined space. Well, I think when, uh, when we talk about life under the sun, I think life under the sun in a way, is living life within the boundaries of the pipe and drape. We have this idea that this is all there is. That uh, uh, you know, people who, who live life under the sun, the reason it's meaningless, uh, their life is you begin your life at birth, you live your life, you die, and that's all there is to it. It's all confined to this very small area. But wisdom does something different. Wisdom pulls back the curtain. And when wisdom pulls back the curtain, it begins to see that there is something beyond this confined space. There is something bigger, something better, something grander than what we know right now. And what we find and what wisdom does is that wisdom grasps hold of the truth. The fact that, that, that it's because there is something beyond the confined space. There's something beyond life under the sun that it's that which gives meaning and purpose and direction for the life that we live right here in this space. And so Solomon is going to compare those two vantage points, living within the confines of the restricted area or having enough wisdom to know there's something beyond this. So let's see what he says, starting with chapter uh, 7, beginning with verse 1. Just the first half of the verse uh, you know, has a lot to say to us. It says, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now, some translations will, will say a good name is better uh, than expensive perfume. Uh, the point that he's making is this, that, that uh, expensive perfume or these, uh, uh, or these uh, uh, precious ointments, they, they were a sign of wealth. They were a sign of luxury. So if someone uh, walked down the street and you just caught a, a little hint of, uh, of one of these fragrances, you would assume right away that that individual was someone who was wealthy, uh, that they were someone who lived a life of luxury, 
that they were someone who must be highly successful. Uh, But Solomon says that wisdom has a different standard for measuring success. Solomon says, Solomon says that a good name, a good reputation, that integrity is better than wealth and better than luxury. And if this is true, then what Solomon would be saying to us is that those that are wise would seek to do the right thing every day. Because how, how do you build a good reputation? It's the same way as building a brick wall. You just build it brick upon brick upon brick. It doesn't suddenly appear, but step by step, day by day, you're able to build the wall. Well, a good reputation is built the same way. It's living day by day, day after day, doing the right thing. And so doing the right thing every day. But you can also you know, narrow it down even further than that, not just doing the right thing every day, but a good reputation could be said to be built by making the next right decision. You see, life is nothing more than uh, a continuum of decisions. Every day, we, we face a multitude of decisions. We you know, have to decide if we're going to uh, you know, get up when the alarm goes off or, or hit the snooze or just throw the alarm clock across the room. We have to decide if we're going to do our homework or if we're going to play video games. We have to decide if we're going to tell our boss the truth or, or we're going to lie about why uh, we're late for work. And it just goes on and on and on. From the time you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed at night, you're faced with a series of decisions. But individuals who live life only under the sun, they would say that it's no big deal. Those decisions, some of them are, are so small. They're insignificant. They, they, they don't amount to anything. But Solomon is saying that if you're wise, if you're living beyond the the curtain, then you realize that every decision matters and that you try to do the right thing every day. And the way that you do the right thing every day is by making the next right decision. Even if you've made a wrong decision, don't just let that derail you but instead do the next right thing. Maybe the next right thing is to make amends for the bad decision or to somehow make a course correction so that you can move beyond the bad decision. But whatever you do, make the next right decision. Solomon says that's the way of wisdom. And then he goes on. Let's let's read further, beginning with the second part of verse 1, reading through verse 4. It says, and the day of death than the day of birth. What he's saying is that the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for the sadness of faith, or by the sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. You might remember that uh, uh, last week when Pastor Chris was teaching uh, and was referring to the material that was going to be covered, said it was as if Solomon was going to take us to church. He was going to talk to us about the way, uh, the right way to worship. Well, Solomon's going to take us someplace uh, in this text as well. Uh, he's going to take us to a funeral. 
It's not as exciting as going to church and to worship, but he's going to take us to a funeral. Now, here's why that's important. There are 7.8 billion people on this planet. They're all uniquely created in the image of God, but they all have one thing that is in common. And that one thing in common is that we're all going to die. And Solomon is saying that the under the sun person doesn't really want to think about that very much. They'd rather ignore that topic altogether. But the wise, he says, lay it to heart, or other translations say the wise take it very seriously. And so what Solomon is saying to us is that the wise live every day for the one day, that one day that is at the end of our lives. You see, in verse 4, he says that a wise person thinks a lot about death. Now, some people would think, well, that's sort of morbid if you think about death a lot. But he says that, uh, that the wise person does think about it because it helps him uh, to stay focused on the way that he lives his life. He says the fool thinks only about having a good time. Another translation of this passage says that, uh, quote Solomon is saying, it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, that seems counterintuitive to the way that, uh, that I think most of the time. I think I would much rather go to a party than to go to a funeral. But what does he mean by this? Well, why do people go to a party? They go to a party to have a good time and to not think. You know, the word amuse uh, it comes from uh, the Latin, which means to not think. And we do all kinds of things in our lives to not think. And so one of the things we do is we go to parties where we can leave all the important issues of life behind. We don't want to think about them. Now, everybody needs the opportunity to unwind. They need the opportunity to just spend time with family and friends and, and not to deal with the problems of life, just to set them aside for a while. And, and, and that's a good thing. But if that's a good thing, then why does Solomon say that it's better that you go to a funeral than to go to that party? Well, the reason is because when you go to a funeral, you are forced to think. You are forced to think about serious matters, especially if you go to the funeral of a believer. It's as if somehow that curtain is slightly pulled back and eternity just begins to, to shine in upon you. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself confronted with things that you've really been trying to avoid. You're forced to answer questions that you really had not wanted to answer. You have to start imagining, is there really something beyond this life under the sun? If there is, how do I prepare for that? What are the decisions that I need to make in this life to prepare me for that life beyond this curtain? He says that the wise live with that day in mind every day. Now, let me ask you, you know, have you ever thought about your funeral? Yeah, I guess people, when they get to be my age, they, they probably think about it more readily than others. But have you ever really thought about it? Have you thought about who you want to be there? Uh, have you thought about uh, what you want them to say when they're there? Well, see, the wise understand this about life. They understand that uh, every day, if you live for that one day, that every day you're writing your own eulogy. 
If you want to know what people are going to say about you at your funeral, just take a look at how you live your life now. That's going to help you to be informed about what they'll say. You see, it, the, the reality is if, you know, if you're a jerk to everybody, well, you don't expect people to get up at, at your funeral and say what a nice guy you were. I mean, if you cheated everybody you had any kind of business transaction with, then you, you can't expect them to stand up and, and say that uh, you, know, you, you were a man or a woman of high integrity. If you didn't have time for your children because you were too busy with your career or with other things, then you can't expect them to stand up at your funeral and talk about what a great mom or dad that you are. You see, I, I, I went to a funeral one time, someone that I knew very well and, uh, uh, and knew their life very well. And so we got there and got, a little, got there a little late. And, and uh, so my wife and I sat down near the back of, uh, uh, of the church where they were having uh, the, uh, the funeral. And the pastor got up and he began to talk. And uh, after a few minutes, it was obvious that he was doing everything he could to say something really nice uh, about the person that was there uh, in, uh, in the coffin. Uh, at one point, I turned to my wife and, and uh, said, I think we're at the wrong funeral. And what she then whispered to me, I was just about to go down there and look in the casket and see if it was the right person. You see, the reality was that the preacher was doing everything he could to say something nice about the guy, but everybody in that room knew who he really was. And here's the thing, the wise want to live their lives in such a way that when it comes to their funeral, when it comes to the celebration of their life, they don't want people to have to lie about who they were. We need to live our lives in such a way that we're ready when that time comes and, and people will respect the life that we lived. So let's go on and let's take a look uh, at some more of of uh, Solomon's comparison between these two lifestyles. All right, so let's take a look uh, at verses 5 and 6 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It says, It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Solomon is reminding us that uh, uh, both the wise and the foolish people that are in our lives uh, will always want to tell us what they think and oftentimes want to tell us what we should think. Uh, but if we're going to live good lives and if we're going to live lives that are beyond the curtain, then what Solomon is saying is that we need to keep one ear open and one ear closed. Now, my, my wife tells me that I do this almost instinctively. She says that uh, I can have one ear open toward the football game that's on the television, and I can have one ear closed at the same time toward her while she's trying to talk to me. I, I don't think that's true, but uh, that's, that's her opinion. You'll have to talk with her uh, about that, but I don't think I do that. But it is a good idea when it comes to the people in our lives that are, some are wise and some are foolish. You see, this is really one of the next right decisions that you have to make in your life, is you have to be willing to, you know, to turn and 
uh, a closed ear to those that are foolish and turn an open ear to those that are wise. You want to hear from the people who are not just living lives under the sun, but you want to hear from the people who are trying to live a wise life, who are trying to live beyond the curtain. You see, if we want to live a good life, we need to listen to the right people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, it, it, it just doesn't work to surround yourself with people that have a different perspective on life than you do. If you're trying to see life from God's perspective, you just can't have this input from people who their view of life excludes God from the picture. And so Solomon tells us that the wise learn how to open one ear and close the other. But then in verse 7, he goes on, makes another comparison. He says, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Have you ever thought that you were taking a shortcut? Maybe you've got an appointment and you're running late, traffic's heavy, and especially guys, they have this sense that I know there's a better way. I know that I can get there more quickly. But then all of a sudden, instead of getting there more quickly, what you do is you run into a dead end. Solomon says that when it comes to living life, that all shortcuts are dead ends. You know, sometimes when uh, money is short and when deadlines are tight, you know, sometimes individuals can be tempted to uh, cut corners or take a shortcut, uh, and sometimes even tempted to do something that uh, uh, at uh, best is unethical or at, at worst is illegal. Uh, but Solomon is telling us that uh, that even though you think that no one will be hurt by these actions, what Solomon says is, in fact, you're hurt by those actions. Anytime you try to take a shortcut in life, that you're the one who's hurt. said it corrupts your heart. It damages your heart, which is the source of your life. But I think that when he's talking about this, that it's a, a much broader principle than just the idea of money. Uh, he uses the term bribe. He said a bribe corrupts the heart. But I, I believe a bribe is whatever you're willing to sell your good name for. I mean, think about that for a second. What is your integrity worth? Uh, that lie that you're thinking about telling your parents or the lie that you're thinking about telling your boss, is, is that worth your good name? Uh, is that money that you're... Uh, thinking about uh, skimming off of your taxes. Is that really worth your good reputation? What about that affair? That affair that you're contemplating? Is that worth losing the integrity that you have in the eyes of your spouse and your children and your family and your friends? You see, Solomon is challenging us to answer a very hard question. He's challenging us, challenging us to answer the question, what are you willing to sell out for? What are you willing to sell out for? 
And what he's saying is that whatever it is, whatever it is that somehow you think this is worth selling my good name, my character, my integrity for, he's saying that it is a bad deal in a beyond-the-curtain economy. Value your good name. Value your reputation. Don't do anything that will sell out and cause you to lose that. He said that's how the wise live. But then he goes on in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 7. He says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in the spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. He's going to revisit this idea that we're all going to die. He says that the proud person has a good start, but he says that the patient person has a good finish. You know, it's not how you start, but it's how you finish. You see, every kid that's ever gone out for high school football was tough before the pads went on. Every woman is a great mom in the second trimester of a pregnancy. Every man is an unbelievable mate or husband on the second date. But the reality is that it's not the beginning, but it's the end that counts. And so he says, if the wise are living for that one day that we talked about earlier, he says they, they, they live their time patiently because they know that in the middle, you remember Pastor Chris talked about it, on every tombstone, there is this beginning date, the date of birth and the date of death, then the dash. And every wise individual who is living for that one day, but right now they're in the dash, they know that in the dash, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be sin, there's going to be the consequence of sin, but they know that by the wisdom that God will grant them and by God's grace that they will navigate through it and that they'll make it to the end and have something to show for it. And so Solomon says that the wise make the last day their best day. They make their last day the best day. But here's the, the truth is, though, that none of us know when our last day is going to be. I looked it up, the average lifespan in the United States is 29,000 days. So I did a little bit of math, and uh, I figured out that I have already lived 24,654 of my days. And so the question for me is, will I make it to the 29,000 or maybe beyond? Or There's no assurance of that. I I may fall a little short of that, or I may fall way short of that. The truth is, I don't know when my last day will be. So if I'm wise, though, and I'm living for one day, the only way I can guarantee that my last day is my best day is to live every day like it's my last day, to live our lives every day living faithful to God, loving those around us well, and every day laying the next brick upon the next brick of our good name regardless of the temptations that come our way. Do that, then 
our last day, whenever that is, can be our best day. So let's take a look at the last few verses. Okay, in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10, he says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, he says, a wise person isn't always talking about the good old days. I remember several years ago, uh, actually many, many years ago, I was a young man, and uh, my wife and I were attending a, uh, a church picnic, and you know, one of the things that you do at a church picnic, a bunch of guys get together and play football. So we were playing football, and I was playing in the secondary, and, and uh, the guy was covering, the quarterback was throwing the, the pass in his direction, and, and I had this thing lined up. I was running full speed, looking back over my shoulder, just knew that I had an interception. And just as I reached my hands out, looking over my shoulder at the ball, I ran right into a pine tree. Those that were there said that I hit it so hard that uh, pine cones fell out of the tree. Now, I, all I know is that the first thing that I really remember uh, after hitting the tree was being in the emergency room and a doctor shining a light in my eyes. You see, that happened because I was trying to move forward by looking backward. And Solomon is saying in, in verse 10, you can't move forward looking backward. I mean, that's why Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt when she looked back while she was walking away from a godless culture. That's why Jesus, in talking uh, about life with God, said it's like plowing a field and said that you can't plow a straight line while looking back over your shoulder. You know, people are always talking about the good old days, always looking back over their shoulder to somehow bring that into the present. But the reality is that the good old days is probably uh, the combination of a bad memory and a vivid imagination, and that's how we come up with the good old days. Now, there, there are some things about days in the past that we look at fondly. I mean, I remember when my boys first started driving, and uh, you know, there, there was a part of me that says, man, I, uh, I wish they were still, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the preteens, you know, running around my house and all of a sudden in, in cars where I can't be right there with them all the time. But then I remembered that when they were preteens running around the house, they were breaking all the windows and tearing up all the furniture. I mean, the reality is that, that there are some things about the past that that are good for us to reflect on and to remember and to be encouraged by. But the problem is that some people are anchored to their past or they're bound by their past. And what Solomon is telling us is that, that the good days that God has promised for us, the good plan that God has promised for us is not in the past but it's moving forward. So the wise man doesn't look backwards, but he continues to move forward. And then lastly, in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 11, 12, he says, wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So our final insight from the preacher, from Solomon, is that wisdom 
is better than wealth. Now, he's honest. He says, wisdom plus money. Now, that's a good thing. He said, you can get almost anything you want that way. But the punchline of everything that he says in that passage is that the only thing that will protect you, the only thing that in some translations put it this way, will save your life is wisdom. You see, the foolish and the wise sail their vessels on the same bodies of water. Uh, Both their vessels are struck by the same waves during times of storm. Uh, Both vessels are in danger from time to time of capsizing or being shipwrecked. But the difference is this. The difference is that the wise know how to navigate around and through the impending disasters, and the fools just seem to capsize over and over and over again. Proverbs 3, 13 and 14 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. So it is to our advantage, he says, to live our life with a beyond-the-curtain perspective. It's better than silver. It's better than gold. It literally will save our lives. So we need to seek to understand life from God's perspective, which is wisdom. So I don't want to leave you with this verse of Scripture because you might be asking, Well, how do I get that wisdom? Where does that wisdom come from? James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him.